Well, good morning to you. Maranatha, our Lord comes. This morning, I, I want us to talk about how the world might know. And, of course, you know what I'm talking about. How are they going to know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? How are they going to know that He is Savior of all? Uh, how, is he gonna, how are they going to know that He's our Savior? How the world might know. I, I'm telling you today that the believer's impact, our, our impact on society, on our culture, is so uh, extremely needed uh, in the world today. Uh, it's, it's utmost important that we stand strong, that we share the gospel, that we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and that we boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ uh, is, is Lord. What we say, what we do, how we behave, how we act should all be done in a way to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ should be done in such a way to honor Him, to exalt Him, to advance the cause of Christ. Our lives should be tuned in to the fact that everything we say, everything we do, should be done in such a way to glorify Him. See, I'm convinced it's not so much what you say and how you behave in this enclosed area here, as much as it is how you live, what you say outside of these, these walls. That's what speaks the loudest. That's what has the greatest impact. It's not so much what we say and how we behave when we come together. I mean, it's important, right? But where it's really important, where the rubber meets the road, is when we walk out those doors to serve the risen Savior. And i I got to tell you, it is hard, and we've talked about this before. It is hard to take a godly stand for truth and for biblical principles uh, when we live in such a hostile world, right? A world that just basically tells you to shut up and sit down. It's hard sometimes to take that stand for Christ. But as I shared Wednesday night, I'm not so much concerned anymore about the world hating me too much as much as I'm concerned about me loving the world too much about me caring what the world thinks to the point that I really don't care what the world thinks because I don't have to answer to the world but I do have to answer to a holy righteous God fortunately and I praise Him for it, that when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, I stand complete in Him. I stand not in my own righteousness, but in His. That's, when I, that's why I feel safe. That's why I feel secure. It's because of who I am in Christ. God's Word, Colossians 3.17, says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. 1 Corinthians 10 31 says, Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, there's a song that I actually, I'm going to play here in just a little while at the end of the service because I love this song. But as I've 
was listening to it on, on so many times this week that I, I love it. And it really ministers to me, and I hope it ministers to you. But it kind of got me to thinking. The name of the song is, uh, I'm Just a Sinner Saved by Grace. Uh, the Bill Gaither Trio sings it. And yeah, I've been listening a lot to the Bill Gaither Trio lately. Uh, I, I love their, their music. But I got to thinking about that song. And I think one of the problems that the church is having today is that we've copped an attitude that I'm not sure we should have copped. And that attitude is just that, well, I'm a saved sinner. Well, you're a lost sinner. It almost gives us an excuse to keep the old man on and not put the new man on like God's Word tells us to do. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, that's true. That's true. And the, and the song really causes you to tear up when you, when you listen to it. But it's almost as if today we concentrate more on who we were and not who we are in Christ Jesus. That we are the redeemed. We are new creations. And it's almost as if we look back more than we look forward to all that God has planned and promised and in store for those who love Him. I'll give you another example. Uh, how many of you have ever seen the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven? You ever seen that bumper sticker? You know, when the first time I ever saw it, I went, yeah, that's, that's true. But it's, it's almost like making an excuse and trying to get the world to like us. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Or another one, be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. Well, that's, that's all true. I'm not, Christians aren't perfect except in Christ. I see that bumper sticker and I want to go, oh, yes, I am. It's not in my own righteousness. It's not, on my, it's not in my own perfection, but it absolutely positively is in the perfection, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you're right, God is not finished with me yet, but that's not an excuse not to whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the effectiveness of our witness if we really applied those scriptures to our daily living? Whatever you say, whatever you do, you do all to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do in word or deed, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine the impact it would have on your life? If that was your daily attitude, can you imagine the impact it would have on this church? If that was your attitude, can you imagine the impact that would have on the world? If that was your attitude. Can you imagine every morning when you woke up? They asked me this morning as we were going in, or driving in, she said, uh, what's usually the first thing that you think of in the morning? And, and, I, and I thought about that and I said, I, I think the first thing that I, I think of every morning when I first wake up is literally the rapture didn't happen overnight. Then I'll reach over. I think I told you that before. Okay, 
Yeah. Now, now that I, I'm just, I, I just want to make sure she hasn't gotten up and I haven't slept too late or something. And so, but that's usually, and then I'll look at my phone to make sure that no disaster happened overnight and, oh well. But, uh, but you know what I think, I, I got to thinking about that. I think that what I am going to train myself to think, and let's kind of do this as a church, to think of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a neat scripture to think of the very first thoughts you have in the morning. Okay, maybe the second, because it's okay to think, boy, the rapture didn't happen last night because I'm still here. Maybe one of these mornings I won't be able to think that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we applied those scriptures to our lives that people might just start saying about us what they said about Paul and Silas and Thessalonica, that those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. How important that is. Make no mistake. Make no mistake, folks. People do notice when you are living your life for Christ. People do notice. It might be foolishness to them, but I don't care. They might laugh at you. They might ridicule you. You know, it's like the man, the man that used to stand down on the corner of King's Highway and Gravoy that had that cross, and he'd hold that cross up, and he'd tell people, God bless you, as the cars drove by. Thank you, Dale, for doing that, brother. The world might have laughed at him, but Dale was down there doing it. Who knows how many lives that touched. Well, what about that guy that left a track at the Orsland store, and a guy picked it up and called me to chew me out for leaving that track there in an Orsland store because he disagreed with it. But that's okay because I got to talk to him and share the gospel. Thank you, Ken Miller, for leaving that track there in the Orsland store. Or Rob Strangy, who shows up over at uh, the zoo nearly every Sunday afternoon to pass out tracks to witness, to reach people for Christ. The world might laugh, the world might scoff, the world might say, how ridiculous that is. But you know, the world's been saying that for a long time because Paul, when he addressed the church in Corinth in, in uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, he, he talked about the fact that, that, that he was a spectacle for Christ. He called himself a fool for Christ. The world thought he was an idiot. The world thought he was foolish. We know better, don't we? See, the world is going to laugh. The world is going to mock. The world is going to do all it can to stymie your testimony, your walk with the Lord, your witness, your message. But that's why we can't allow that to happen. But we faithfully serve. We faithfully take a stand for Christ. Especially 
in the times in which we live right now. This morning I want to talk to you about three young men who stood for God when they were told to take a knee. But they took a stand for God instead. Men who were willing to take a stand regardless of what it was going to cost and based on the order of the king, it was indeed going to cost them their lives if they did not bow down. And it must have been an important stand because here three, almost 3,000 years later, we're talking about these three guys. Kind of tells you what an impact those three guys had at their time. These three men, perhaps you've heard of them before, uh, Hananiah, you ever heard of Hananiah? Mishael, heard of Mishael? You ever heard of uh, Azariah? You ever heard of Azariah? Go, well, I've not heard of those, those three guys. Well, let me give you a clue to who they were. Uh, they went into Babylonian captivity along with a guy by the name of Daniel. And with Daniel, they refused to defile themselves with the food and the drink of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king. Remember, the Babylonian king had established a school, uh, an indoctrination center. Still have those. An indoctrination center for the children of Israel into the ways of the Chaldeans. These were well-favored. These were gifted. Uh, these are the young men that had ability. These were the king's boys, and he was going to educate them, but he wanted them fat and sassy. He wanted to make sure they had the finest fare, in his opinion, and the finest drink, in his opinion. But Daniel didn't want to do that. He knew that that diet would not be good for them. They weren't used to that kind of rich, rich food. And so Daniel worked it out with the chief eunuch to let them just eat beans and, and not eat from the, uh, the rich diet that the king wanted to eat. And, and the chief eunuch, he was afraid to do that. He said, You're, if, if in 10 days when you go before the king, if you look malnourished, if you look in bad shape, why, that's going to mean my head. And Daniel said, I, I guarantee you, we'll, it's going to work. Please, let's do this. So gave them 10 days, and sure enough, they looked wonderful when they went before King Nebuchadnezzar. Now we have to remember this about uh, Hananiah and Mishael and uh, Azariah. Uh, they had other names too. They had... Babylonian names. They'd been given Babylonian names. Uh, uh, Hananiah, we know him by Shadrach. We know Mishael as Meshach and Azariah as Abednego. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what's interesting about their Jewish names and their names, their Jewish names were given to them intentionally and it really fits what they were about to be exposed to and take a stand for in order to glorify God. Uh, Ananiah, his name meant God is gracious. That was his 
true name. God is gracious. Mishael, his name means who is God. Not so much a question as it is a declaration. Who is God? And Azariah helped of God. And the position they're about to be put in is going to show everyone in Babylon who God is, that he is gracious, and he helps his own. So their Hebrew names are going to play out through this whole ordeal. When they are tried, people are going to realize that God is gracious. When the question comes up, who's the real God? They're going to know God is the real, the Jehovah is the true and living God. And no doubt they were helped of God. Remember that in, in Daniel chapter 2. As a matter of fact, turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel and, and these young Young men have been taken into Babylonian captivity. And one of the reasons they were taken into Babylonian captivity, well, the reason they were taken into Babylonian captivity is because God allowed Babylon to t- conquer Judah because of Judah going whoring after strange God, worshiping strange gods, building strange idols, worshiping strange idols. The things that were going on in the temple of, of God were atrocities. And so, because of Israel's wickedness, that they went into Babylonian captivity. But God had not forsaken Daniel. He had not forsaken these these young men. Look at Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. This is the story where Daniel interprets the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And because of that dream interpretation, Daniel becomes uh, a mighty figure. Uh, he is praised and, and position are heaped upon him. Daniel 2 verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. And the king answered unto Daniel, and said, of a truth, truth it is, that your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel, this is important, verse 49. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So Daniel received favor from Nebuchadnezzar, and because of that, he was able to um, draft these other three guys into those those positions of power so they were pretty well set even though they were part of the captivity God had blessed them God had had putting him putting them in a position to be used they had wealth 
They had power. They had authority. They had the world by the horns. They were set for life. Then chapter 3. Then chapter 3. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? And Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Durak in the province of Babylon. So what Nebuchadnezzar does is he sets up this image. Now this was not a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. This was much more wicked than that. This pole that was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide was an obelisk. The word obelisk means bell's shaft. It was an idol to the male sex organ. That's exactly what this image was. And everyone was to do what? Bow down and worship to this idol. It was not a statue of Nebuchadnezzar, but it was a, a representation of man's dominance, man's authority over everything, and worship of that was not new. As that was part of the problem that Judah and Israel before Judah had gotten into because they were worshiping the groves, the Asherah poles, in the high places, God had told them to destroy them, but they continued to do that. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar is putting up this obelisk. We have a few in this country too, by the way, but I'm not going to get into that. One of them here in the United States is 555.5 feet high and 55.5 uh, 555.5 feet high and 55.5 feet wide or 6,666 feet high and 6,666 feet but anyway uh, if if you don't think there's not some symbolism in the Washington Monument, folks, I got, we need to talk. So before you go, that dastardly Nebuchadnezzar, how dare he do such things? I'm telling you, folks, Satan's still alive and well. He's still the God of this world. He's still doing things today to get our minds off of spiritual things, put them on temporal, earthly, worldly things. But anyway, so here was this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar wanted everyone to bow down to. Look at verse 4 and 5 of, of chapter 3. Well, let's start with verse 3. Then the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers and the counselors and the sheriffs and all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Wicked, folks, wicked. And then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalmstry, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you shall 
fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whosoever falleth not down and worships shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So you think they ought to obey a law like that? Or rather obey God rather than man? Well, that was, that was the law. That's bow, let's bow down to this male sex organ idol that we are going to worship that stands for male's dominance, that here's who's in control. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood what happened in Judah, and they were not about to start bowing down to this image again. And so they, they didn't bow down. Look at verse 12. There's a bunch of guys that go and squeal to Nebuchadnezzar. It says, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, and they, not, and they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now remember this. Nebuchadnezzar had already acknowledged, based on what Daniel had done, who the true and living God is. He had already acknowledged, and he even said, let's, let's have sacrifice, let's, let's acknowledge. Daniel, there is no other God like your God. Why, this is what your God does. So Nebuchadnezzar knew. He knew. And then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, isn't it interesting that he didn't say, wow, what faith. God told him I'm going to burn him alive. That's got to be real faith, but yet they are willing to suffer the consequences. No, instead he got mad. In his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they brought these men before the king. In other words, they brought God is gracious. They brought who is God. They brought help of God before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke and he said unto them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Well, he's going to give them time to think about it, except it was like that. Well, let me think about it. No, because that's, exactly that's exactly what they did. He's going to give them an out. I mean, he's Nebuchadnezzar. He's a whole power. He's a powerful. He's a, he's a sovereign king. Verse 15, he tells them, Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalmstery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I've made. Well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Well, Nebi, you're getting ready to find out. You're getting ready to find out who the God is that's going to deliver them out of his hands. Who the true and living God is. Nebuchadnezzar, you've already acknowledged earlier who the true God of heaven is. 
But aren't you going to worship my gods? Nope, not going to do it. Boy, the world still asks that question, by the way, folks. The world still asks that question. And my question, what's your answer going to be? But anyway. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this manner. In other words, we have no need to think about it. We, have no, we don't need to think about what our answer is going to be. Verse 17, and I love what these three young men say. If it be so, and by the way, based on all scholars uh, dating, and this, there's a, about a 20-year about a difference between uh, 249 and 3-1. So about 20 years had gone by since they had been placed in power and authority. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You talk about courage. You talk about bravery. You talk about determined to serve the true and living God and do what is right and pleasing to Him. That was the attitude of three, these three guys. Basically, they were saying, God's able to deliver us if He wants to. But if He doesn't, that's okay too. He's going to be glorified Regardless, and we are not going to bow a knee to that golden image. We're not going to bow before that filthy idol that you've put up there. See, it was not about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was about taking a stand for the true and living God and making sure that the whole world knew who they believed in, who they were faithful to during this, this time. Be it known unto you, O king, we will not serve thy gods. Oh, that the church today has the courage to say the exact same thing. Then, verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wanted to be heated, usually heated. Heat it up, make it hotter. Make it hotter. See, and I think he was just playing right into God's hands. Do all that you want to do, Nebuchadnezzar. And the hotter you make it, the more that's going to glorify me as you look into that fiery furnace and you see four people, not three, in the midst of that furnace. 
And I think it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's attitude saying, God can deliver us. I think that's what really ticked this king off. And he said, oh, you want to bet? Make it seven times hotter. God's word says that it was so hot. Verse 20, and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army. Whoops, that's, that's not a very good use of the strongest, mightiest warriors that you have. See, it kind of, it kind of tells me that King Nebuchadnezzar really wasn't sure about what he was doing. I mean, when you say, make it seven times hotter, and you take my strongest men and, and bind them up. Well, okay, that's maybe what it takes in order for me to have my will done. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. They didn't allow them time to change clothes. They didn't allow them time to do anything other than he was so mad. Cast them in. Verse 22, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even those mighty men, his best warriors, that he might need in another battle later on, whoops, because of his arrogancy, he just lost them. And they tied them up and they gathered them up and they take them and they are going to be the ones that are going to cast them in. And they themselves, because it is so hot, they perish. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, folks, they didn't, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't have the privilege of being able to read to the end of Daniel to find out what happened to them or next. When those men bound them up and they walked them up and they threw them into the fiery furnace, they had no idea what was about to happen. But these men of faith, it did not matter. What mattered was their faithfulness to God. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24 I like this verse. Boy, do I like this verse. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he spoke and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto him, King, that's true. O king, that's true. And he answered and said, Lo, I, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You know why it was in the form of the Son of God? Because it was the Son of God. Startling. But that's exactly what they said was going to happen. That God was going... He had the ability to deliver them. But if they died... 
May God be glorified in their death. Verse 26. And boy, this, to me, this is one of the most fascinating, most wonderful uh, stories through, in the whole Scripture. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace, and he spoke and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, he finally got it. You servants of the Most High, you're not going to serve my gods. Oh, you, you servants of the Most High God. The realization came about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the mist of the fire. Oh, Nebi's attitude had changed. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies, get this now, folks, whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair on their hair, hair singed, neither were their coats changed. Look at that last one. Nor the smell of fire had passed on them. You talk about a miracle, and I believe the story. I believe God has the ability to protect them to the uttermost. The fire had no effect on them, not even the smoke. Hey, if I try building us a fire at the house, I smell like smoke for hours after that. I can't light a match and not have the smell of smoke. They're thrown into a fiery furnace seven times hotter, and they don't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath set his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to take a stand. They had to take a stand for God. But was the world changed? Was Nebuchadnezzar's attitude changed when they did that? Well, he calls him the Most High God. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. They made a decision to obey God rather than man. They made a decision to do what God expected rather than what government said you must do to bow down and worship us. And they said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. These three guys had to make a decision. No doubt they were powerful. They were wealthy. Understanding that their decision might strip them of all earthly authority. Hey, they were probably pretty comfortable by the world's standards. 
They had much to live for. But they were willing to sacrifice it all in order to please and serve the true and living God. Were they willing to sacrifice it all for their faith? Fortunately for us, their answer was a resounding yes. And God used their commitment to Him as an opportunity to show Himself real on their behalf. Again, going in, they had no idea what was going to happen. But what was important was their faithfulness, not the outcome. Not the outcome. God, your will be done. They weren't going to lose faith. What, what are the lessons? What are the lessons for us this morning? Lesson number one is by their testimonies and by their stand, God was able to glorify himself. May God be able to glorify himself by our stand. Had they not taken that righteous stand, God would not have had the opportunity to show himself strong on their behalf. That's a valuable lesson there. It shows to everyone with, with whom they came in contact who the true God of heaven is. Second thing, it shows us that you ought to obey God rather than man. And the third point, that God's performing a miracle and saving them from that fire proved to the, everyone who he was. Yes, he is gracious. Yes, he is God. He is the one who delivers. Yes, it's God that can change. Change lives. It's God that can make a difference. Now, we need to remember this quickly. In Hebrews 11, it talks about those martyrs, those people of faith who serve God, but yet some were flayed alive, some were burned at the stake, some had their heads chopped off, some were killed. Not everyone of faith came out unscathed like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was no miraculous rescue for so many of martyrs. There was no miracle of deliverance, but folks, there was a miracle of faith. And that's what's important. That's what we need to keep in mind. And just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego surrendered their lives to the will of God, that's what God calls us to do today. And whatever you do, in word and deed, you do all to the glory of God, regardless of the cost. Regardless of the cost. My question to you this morning, have you surrendered your life to the Lord? This morning, do you belong to Him? 
And I invite you to trust Christ. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus, let me invite you by faith, trust in Him. He alone can save, not from that fiery furnace, but from the one that really matters, the lake of fire, fiery furnace. That's the one you desire to be delivered from above all others because there is a hell and those who reject God are going to spend eternity in that lake of fire. And as the bulletin says, uh, eternity is a long time to get it wrong, to be wrong. My prayer this morning is that you know the Lord. By faith you have trusted Him. Regardless of what happens this coming week and the weeks following and the months and the years following, May God find us faithful, living for Him, serving Him. I I love what Job says. In Job 13, verse 15, the people there are trying to get Job to renounce God. They're trying to get Job to curse God and die. What does Job say about God? Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Folks, that's the attitude that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to take on. Regardless of what God wants to do with us, how He wants to use us, Lord, we are Your faithful servants. Amen? And I'm here to tell you that we're more than just sinners. Saved by grace. Still going to play the song because, boy, it, it, it really puts Christ and salvation in its rightful attitude. But as you listen to this, understand that you're more than just... If you're saved this morning, you are a redeemed child of God. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. A sinner saved by grace, debt paid, stand righteous in Christ. Tim? If you could go with me back to where I started from, then I know you. A miracle of love that took me in its sweet embrace and made me what I am today. Just an old sinner saved by grace.
How could I boast of anything I've ever seen or done? How could I dare to claim as mine the victories God has won? Where would I be? Had God not brought me gently to this place, I'm here to say I'm nothing but a sinner. sure that we know who we are in Christ. Amen? Sinners, we've been saved by grace, and now we stand perfect in Christ. Children of God, sons of God, what a position we have in him. Let's stand and be dismissed. And if you're never, if you've never trusted Christ, you want to do that. By faith, you want to trust the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this, this morning and how thankful we are that we know that we are saved to the uttermost, that our lives have been changed, that our standing before you has changed. 
And Father, we stand in Christ. Father, we thank you that he became sin for us even though we, he knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, we rejoice at that salvation. Now, Father, we rejoice at the lesson that the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tells us, shares with us. Father, may we be faithful to take a stand for the true and living God, not bow to the desires of the world, not bow to their demands. When we know that it's contrary to your word, when it's contrary to your will, Father, make us faithful, give us courage, give us boldness to be the church, triumphant, loving you and serving you even more than life itself, Father. We pray these things in the name that's above all other names. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed.